This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. Thank you so much again for joining us as we work our way through this journey through the encyclical Rerum Novarum by Pope Leo XIII, which came out in 1891, talking about the rights of the working class. And I'm enjoying this study, and I hope you are as well, and also applying the principles that are contained therein. There are a growing number of people uh, who are registering to vote independent, and this uh, is recorded in the year 2024, major election year for the United States. And a lot of people are leaning towards independence. So they're neither registering as Republican or Democrat. People are tired of politics as usual and are wishing there was no government at all. Or if there was, it would be very little government. But a healthy society is an ordered society. So some level of governance is necessary in a fallen world. Certainly the Native Americans on the North American continent, you know, they were in tribes and villages, but they still had some sort of governance under the chiefs and the elders in those societies. So in this fallen world, again, some level of governance is necessary. Now, if we were all saints, we wouldn't need to be governed, for we would always do what is right for the greater good. However, that is not the world we live in. Uh, if we do need a government, it should, be, should not be, rather, centralized. And it should not be big, and certainly not act as Big Brother. If you've seen the movie 1984, you know what Big Brother is all about, or if you've read the book. But today, Pope Leo XIII shows us the role of government when it comes to the rights of the working class. Now, Pope Leo XIII's take is that the church speaks into this issue and guides the world in this issue of the rights of the working class. However, he recognizes that the government does have somewhat of a role in it all. So he explains, spells that out to us. And we'll be studying paragraphs 31 through 39. Again, to remind you that encyclicals tend to be written in numbered paragraphs. And so we're studying paragraphs 31 through 39 today. I believe there's, uh, I can't remember. I think there's about 65 paragraphs in this encyclical. But in paragraph 31, the Pope states that to see a just society happen, then all concerned parties should be involved in the discussion and should concur with each other. So he says that now we need to look into the role of government because they too should be at the table in this discussion. 
too often now the arena of social justice has just become a slam fest of yelling and labeling, demeaning and canceling anyone who is not in line with the narrative. But this narrative is determined by those who are most funded by the wealthy. Uh, Now it is a few people who are calling the shots and demanding that the rest of us get in line. And this is polar opposite of what the Pope envisions here. I think of George Soros, George Soros, a billionaire who funds a lot of uh, communist and socialist causes like these DAs that are uh, not protecting the innocent victims and the DAs who are not punishing criminals, even criminals who uh, do heinous acts of crime. They're not being punished by a lot of DAs in our bigger cities and our universities are pushing communism and socialism and pushing revolt in society. And where's all this coming from? Well, one of the main sources this is coming from is from George Soros, who also funds a lot of uh, campaigns, funds a lot of political people who are running for office. And so we have what's created in this scenario is a few who have a lot of money funding uh, great things. But Pope Leo 13 says, no, everyone involved in a given situation needs to be at the table and be part of the conversation. And unfortunately we just have a few billionaires funding loudmouths and universities to indoctrinate young, impressionable minds. And our, our really, if you study the Hitler Youth, our universities are functioning much like the Hitler Youth now. And the idea presented in this encyclical is so uh, foreign to our current climate of protest, violence, and the silencing of the voice of wisdom. And so we must, for the sake of justice, get back to bringing everyone to the table to listen in mutual respect so that we may get to the proper answers to injustice. We need to learn. Now listen to this. We need to learn to argue again. And you may think, well, I thought that's what we were doing in our protest. No, that's not argument. The definition of a true argument is the stating of various viewpoints to find the truth. I was talking with a friend a while back and we were discussing how we've lost the art of argument, that argument is necessary, argument is productive, but we've forgotten how to argue properly. So again, arguing in an argument is the stating of various viewpoints for the purpose of finding the truth. And the word argument comes from the Middle English, which means the process of reasoning. The process of reasoning. So if you're yelling with your spouse or partner, or yelling with a friend and they're yelling back and it's completely unreasonable what's happening, that's not an argument. Because an argument, according to Middle English, means the process of reasoning. And it comes from Latin, which means 
to make clear. The word argument in Latin means to make clear. So what's happening is when various sides are arguing over a point, what they're trying to do is present their their views, try to make clear what's going on so that the per- truth can be discovered. So what we need to do in the area of social justice is get back to real arguing in order to get to the answers for justice. Now, you look in the Gospels, you see Jesus arguing with the religious leaders of Israel. Now, he's not yelling at them. Maybe he was yelling at them when he was turning the tables over in the temple, but but he, he wasn't yelling at the religious leaders of Israel. He was having a true argument with them in order to help them discover the truth. What he was doing was reasoning with them. You see St. Paul doing that on Mars Hill uh, in various cities. When St. Paul would uh, go into a city, he would argue with the philosophers in that city. In other words, he was trying to help them make clear and he would allow them to argue back. And there was this mutual exchange to find the truth. Of course, he was trying to show them that the truth is in Jesus Christ. But in social justice, we've got to get back to real arguing. The problem is it's really hard to argue with people who don't know what that is. It just ends up, uh, they yell at you, they shut you down. And that's what a lot of young people do nowadays. I've noticed they just shut you down. They don't listen. They don't want to hear it. And that's, and when we have that kind of climate, That's so prevalent in our society now, we can't get to the truth of what's really going on and what the answers are. Now, in paragraph uh, 32, it's interesting to me that the Pope defines what the state is. And that's, that's very important because if he's going to show us the role of government in the, uh, this, this, Uh, with the working class and the rights of the working class, then it's important to know what the government even is legitimately. So the, rather than getting right into the role of government, Pope Leo XIII defines what a true state is to begin with. Let me read this first sentence in paragraph 32. He says, by the state, we here understand not the particular form of government prevailing in this or that nation, but the state as rightly apprehended. That is to say, any government conformable in its institutions to right reason and natural law and to those dictates of the divine wisdom, which we have expounded in the encyclical uh, on the Christian constitution of the state. So he's referring to another encyclical in this, but I like what he says. He says, let's not get hung up on the form of government that is accepted by a particular society or nation. Rather, whatever form is there, he asked the question, is that particular government, that particular state, are they functioning and are their laws conformable to right reason the natural law and the dictates of divine wisdom. So he's showing us that first we have to define this because it could be that a particular government or nation is not even acting legitimately. And so if it's not acting legitimately, then it doesn't really have a right to partake in the conversation around the rights of the working class. So again, according 
to the, the Pope here in this paragraph, there are two functions of government. The first is to ensure public well-being, and secondly, to ensure private property for everyone. Now, again, not demanding that everyone have private property, but giving everyone the opportunity to have private property. So the government functions to ensure public well-being and ensure private property. Now, there's another sentence I want to read to you that is so, I don't know, it's just profound. And and it, it, as I read it, I just, I was blown away with the wisdom that Pope Leo XIII presents for this. And he says, this is the proper scope of wise statesmanship. Now think of your political leaders. Think of the ones who are running for election. Do they match this criteria? He says, this is the proper scope of wise statesmanship and is the work of the rulers. Now a state chiefly prospers and thrives through moral rule, well-regulated family life, respect for religion and justice, the moderation and fair imposing of public taxes, the progress of the arts and of trade, the abundant yield of the land through everything, in fact, which makes the citizens better and happier. So hereby, then, it lies in the power of a ruler to benefit every class in the state and amongst the rest to promote the utmost interest of the poor and of virtue for the common good. I paraphrase that last couple sentences, but notice these things. Does the people running for election, do they match up and do our current leaders match up to that standard that Pope Leo XIII is presenting that a state chiefly prospers and thrives through moral rule, well-regulated family life, respect for religion and justice, the moderation of fair imposing of fair imposing of public taxes, the progress of the arts and of trade and the abundant yield of the land uh, through everything. You know, what a profound, and I just say a, a hearty amen and amen to that sentence. And I would be remiss to say that there are very few of our political leaders who really match or even come close to that standard that the Pope holds out for us. Now, in paragraph 33, the Pope states that the working classes form the majority of sin citizens that the individuals in the working class have the same rights as the rich and that the government should work towards the comfort and prosperity of every citizen, no matter what economic class they are in. Now, one of the uh, things I struggle with in our social justice arenas today in the discussions is that, that there's this tendency to say, well, we need to lift up the poor and the oppressed and we need to push down the rich and the oppressor. And I would say absolutely not. Absolutely not. We want to make sure that everybody is giving the opportunity to thrive. So if somebody has achieved wealth, uh, again, 
okay, what are you doing with that wealth? We should challenge them with that. But it's not wrong as long as they achieve that wealth justly. And the other thing is the oppressor, we don't want to, to get rid of the oppressor in that we don't want to get rid of the human who's doing the oppressing. We just want to help guide them and encourage them towards repentance and becoming a, a good citizen who works for the common good. But notice that he states that the working class and why it's so important to have this discussion and to have an encyclical written for the purpose of, of protection of the working classes because they form the majority of citizens. So again, the Pope is not anti-rich. He is opportunity for everyone. Now, I think of an example of the Exodus. You know, I've been reading through the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And in Exodus, it states that the nation of Israel was to treat the immigrant equally with the courts. So in the courts, if an immigrant ended up in court, they were to be treated equally as a citizen. And that they were to be treated in other avenues or areas of society. But unfortunately, our government in America favors the wealthy, the elite class. That's becoming more and more obvious. Another example I think of is people uh, keep crying out for fair taxes. They say that the current tax structure favors the rich and punishes the poor. Well, does it? Does the current tax structure favor the rich and punish the poor. I'm asking you that. I want you to email me. We'll give you the email at the end of this podcast. Email me and let me know your thoughts on that. Now, I do personally think that a sales tax and the elimination of income tax, which I live in a state that's got a huge income tax, large property taxes, and no sales tax. I'm in favor uh, of believing that uh, a sales tax and the elimination of income tax would be the start towards a more just tax structure. Because why? Well, the, the wealthy consume more. Therefore, they would pay more in sales tax. And the and they wouldn't pay, they would pay more numerically. But what I'm trying to show is the wealthy would pay their fair share of taxes with a sales tax because they consume more. And the poor would pay their fair share of taxes based upon what they purchase. So a sales tax sort of has an equalizing effect, whereas an income tax does not because of all the tax write-offs. So I think that would be a good start. Also, the elimination or at least the restructuring of property tax. And by the way, if you rent, I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say. If you are a renter, you are paying property taxes in your rent. I get tired of hearing this, and I do hear it a lot when there's on a, a ballot measure that has a property tax increase in it, I hear renters saying, yeah, I'm just going to vote for this because, man, I don't pay property tax. And it's like, how uneducated do you have to believe, be to believe that? No, if you're a renter, you pay property taxes in your rent. So be careful before voting for bond measures that raises property taxes because that will cause your rent to go up. 
Now, in paragraph 34, the Pope states here that society exists to make men better and that the end of society is virtue. And he further states that those in important positions of government are valuable in that they provide aid and protection for society. However, he goes on to say that the most indispensable members of society are the laborers because they're the very reason a state can grow rich. Without the laborers, you've got nothing. Therefore, those in high positions should ensure that the laborers are well-clothed, housed, and comfortable so that their lives, which is given to labor, are not made more laborious due to having to struggle to make ends meet. Does that make sense? So the ones who should really be given time off work and the ones who should really be focused on to be housed comfortably, to have comfortable income, to be clothed, to have plenty of food and time to take vacations, it should be the laborers because they're the ones working the hardest. Now in paragraph 35, as we move along, let's face it in this paragraph, Governments now act as big brothers. Uh, Pope states, the Pope here, Pope Leo XIII states that they should act like the caring fathers instead. And I love that statement he made in this, that the government too often acts as big brother when instead it should act as the caring father. He reminds us that the state is not to absorb families, but rather ensure their freedom. And however, he gives a caution that this is so long as it works for the common good. So he's saying it's not freedom for freedom's sake, but freedom as long as it's for the common good. So it's not like my freedom versus your freedom, but rather our shared freedom. So the state has a responsibility to ensure both individual freedom and the common good Unfortunately, unfortunately, the state now works for its own good and the good of the elite class. You know, you don't have to look very far, but just see who is being investigated in our society. Who is having their homes raided by the FBI? Who is being protected by the state? You don't have to look very far to see where the priorities of the state are is with the elite class. Now, the Pope also states that any power the state may have is from God. And God is Father. Therefore, the state should act in line with its source. Let me repeat this in a different way. The source of the government is from God. God is a Father. Therefore, the state should act in line with its source as a Father. Now, in paragraph 36, I... I want to read a little bit of this. And I just want to read this paragraph 36 because I can't say it any clearer than the way the Pope uh, says it. So I'm going to read it and I want you to just follow along. He says, whenever the general interest of any particular class suffers or is threatened with harm, which can in no other way be met or prevented, the public authority must step in to deal with it. Now, it is the interest, it is to the interest of the community as well as of the individual 
that peace and good order should be maintained, that all things should be carried out in accordance with God's laws and those of nature. Notice that God's laws and the laws of nature, that should be the standard. That the discipline of family life should be observed and that religion should be obeyed. That a high standard of morality should prevail both in public and private life. That justice should be held sacred. Notice that that justice should be held sacred and that no one should injure another with impunity. That the members of the commonwealth should grow up to man's estate, strong and robust and capable, if need be, of guarding and defending their country. If, by a strike of workers or concerted interruption of work, there should be imminent danger of disturbance to the public peace, or if circumstances were such, as that among the working class the ties of family life were relaxed, if religion were found to suffer through the workers not having time and opportunity afforded them, to practice its duties, if in workshops and factories there were danger to morals through the mixing of the sexes or from other harmful occasions of evil, or if employers laid burdens upon their workmen which were unjust or degraded them with conditions repugnant to their dignity as human beings, finally, if health were endangered by excessive labor or by work unsuited to sex or age, In such cases, there can be no question but that, within certain limits, it would be right to invoke the aid and authority of the law. The limits must be determined by the nature of the occasion which calls for the law's interference, the principle being that the law must not undertake more nor proceed further than is required for the remedy of the evil or the removal of the mischief. There's a lot being said there. If you need to repeat this section, you can hear me read that again, but yeah. There's a lot of conditions going on there. Got to consider the age of a person and what kind of work they can do, the gender of the person and what kind of work they can do. The fact is, I don't care what the woke crowd says, women are suited for certain tasks and men are built for certain tasks. It's just the way it is. People that are older or people that are underage are not as suited for labor as people within the proper age limits. So we got to consider all of those things. And it concerns me that Social Security, in order to get your full benefits of Social Security, you ha- the age gets higher and higher. I believe it's up to 67 years old now. You can get your full benefits Social Security. But that concerns me as we approach the age of 70 for when you can get your Social Security benefits. Who can work in a factory that, at that age? Now, in paragraph 37, the Pope states it is the duty of the state to protect the rights and ensure the safety of everyone, but especially the poor, since they don't have the ability to protect themselves from downturns and danger like the wealthy do. So wealthy people, you know, the the pandemic, the, you know, recessions, inflation, they can outpace that. The poor can't. So the Pope says one of the rules of government is ensure the ability of the poor to weather those storms. I think of several examples. For example, the defund the police movement. The only places, by the way, that got defunded were the areas that actually needed more police due to gangs and drugs. 
So the poor suffered with this ridiculous act of defunding the police. Another example would be the COVID lockdowns we had back in 2019, 2020 through 21, the COVID lockdowns, the poor are the ones who suffered during this time. Uh, Another one is the Green New Deal. There's this thing in the United States about the Green New Deal. We're going to switch everything to electric, everything to solar panels, everyone required to own an electric vehicle. The poor are the ones who will suffer from this crazy Green New Deal. The poor can't afford electric vehicles. Electric vehicles are expensive. The poor can't afford the outlets it takes to charge electric vehicles. Uh, The poor uh, will suffer greatly at the communistic, tyrannical control of the Green New Deal. And they won't be able to afford the high electric bills, which is something that kind of boggles my mind because if more and more people are using electricity as we switch over to total electricity, which by the way, I don't know what's so magical about electricity that it makes it better than natural gas and these other things. There's this false dichotomy in our society that if it's from a fossil fuel source, it's bad. And if it's from electricity, it's good. That, that is a false dichotomy that that is not scientifically correct, but Uh, you know, but for some reason, the more, you know, like if you're a business owner, the more people that shop at your business, the more money you make and the more you can lower prices because you're making that more money. So you can compete better with other businesses. But for some reason, the electric companies and in Portland, our electricity was raised 18% this year. I thought to myself, if we're switching over to a total electric society, then why is it our prices are going up on electricity instead of down? Because they've got getting more and more business. It doesn't make sense. But as it is. Paragraph 38. And I encourage you to correct me on that if I'm wrong in my thinking on that. But in paragraph 38, there is an interesting discussion by Pope Leo XIII. And here's some points I want to share from paragraph 38. First of all, The greedy must be kept in line by the government. The Pope says the greedy must be kept in line. Now notice he doesn't say the wealthy must be kept in line with the government, rather the greedy. I I know people with a lot of money who are very servant hearted. So he's talking about the greedy. They have to be kept in line with, by the government. And I want to know your thoughts on something though. What do you do? when it is the government that is greedy. Your thoughts on that in the emails. Second point, the government must punish those who take what belongs to others. So if, if through manipulation, through the manipulation of the stock market, through, you know, outright theft, and now we've got these massive thefts of stores that's happening in our cities... Pope says the government has an obligation to punish those people. And then the third point in this paragraph, the government must keep in check with those who would call for revolutionary change through civil disobedience, lest it harm the working class. So Pope Leo XIII is not against rising up and standing up for justice, but 
He says the government must keep in check those who would call for revolutionary change and civil disobedience, lest it harm the working class. So the protesters we see today are not the working class. I've looked at various studies and those that are disrupting society are actually on welfare or their people being paid by George Soros and others. They're being paid to do this job of disrupting society and doing pro protests because the working class is too busy going to work to create disruption. So the Pope says in revolutionary change, got to make sure that the working class is not harmed in this process. By the way, the communist pigs in government take advantage of these protests. Have you noticed? Now, again, the Pope is not saying here there's never a time for civil disobedience. Remember, earlier he states that a government that is not in line with its divinely ordained purpose is not a legitimate government. So keep those balances in view. Now, let's finish up today with paragraph 39, where he says that a, as a society, we should create conditions so that workers never go on strike. So he states that we could create a, a situation in society where strikes don't have to happen. Workers don't need to go on strikes. So he says government, one of their roles, create a situation, create an atmosphere in society where it's not necessary for workers to go on strike for their rights to be observed. He shows that the strikes, worker strikes, harm employers. They also harm employees, they harm customers, and they harm trade. So he shows that it's where the end is to get the rights of workers observed and their needs met. In the process, it creates too much harm in society. He says that when times are good, then the state should be working during those good times to create laws and conditions so that workers never need to go on strike. He states that when workers strike then violence is not far behind. So that's our discussion today. Next time, we're going to begin with paragraph 40 of this encyclical and talk about what is it all really about? Can you imagine a world that is run like this, like Pope Leo XIII is proposing? Now, John Lennon had his famous song, Imagine, which was basically a communist manifesto. So no thank you, Mr. Lennon. I don't like what you're imagining. But I do prefer to imagine a world that runs according to the spiritual principles, that runs according to the beautiful principles of justice that the Catholic Church gives us. And I encourage you to read this encyclical, to put it into practice as you create a just society right where you are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis a common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through matradayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.